Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes, and we appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. This morning I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Let's bow in prayer as we do. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we thank You for this beautiful day that You've given us. We thank You for the opportunity to open Your Word. And Father, we praise You for uh, lifting our spirits and causing us to feel Your presence through the music and the efforts of those who've uh, already worshipped You this morning. Lord, we just pray that You'd help us now to hear Your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we've been looking at uh, miracles of Jesus, and we come now to this passage in John chapter two. And uh, I, I, this past weekend, uh, Christina uh, went to a ball game up there at uh, Truett McConnell. She didn't have any clue as to how the game is played. She doesn't have any interest at all in baseball, never been to a baseball game. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of, of uh, the weekend that I graduated from seminary. Now, I went to seminary out in Texas, and, and my parents uh, couldn't come very often. They came when they dropped us off. Uh, they helped us go move out there. Robin and I didn't have hardly anything in the world to our name. And uh, they pulled a little U-Haul trailer by, behind their vehicle, and we pulled another vehicle behind ours, and we trekked all the way out there to Texas, and a couple of times uh, my mom put in a dig for, well, son, if you don't want to go all the way out here, that's all right. There's nothing wrong with turning around and go back home and going to school closer by, and I said, no, mom, I feel led to go to Texas, and they didn't come back to Texas until I graduated. And after all the ordeals that it took us to get out there the first time, I don't blame them for not coming until I graduated. But it was six years later because uh, of uh, work and all the other stuff that I had to do to, in order to try and, and complete my education. It took a couple of years longer than we thought. Took a year off in there somewhere. And anyway, uh, 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 while... Uh, they came out to see me graduate, and uh, uh, that weekend they went to the church that we went to while we were uh, living in Texas. And it happened to be, I believe it was uh, on the weekend of Mother's Day. And so uh, I was introducing my parents to our pastor out there, and, and he looked at me and he said, uh, do you like baseball? And I, I said, well, it's okay. And he said, well, I've got, a, I got some tickets to the Texas Rangers game for today. He said, now, um, I would normally go, but because of it being the weekend that it is, he said, how would you like to take your folks to see the Texas Rangers play? Now, I had not listened to a Texas Rangers game but twice in the years that we lived in Texas. Once was because Nolan Ryan was on the verge of throwing a no-hitter 
and this was late in Nolan Ryan's career, and, and so it was a big deal. And everybody in the world seemed to be uh, listening to the Texas Rangers play that game because of his no-hitter that he was going, and he went on to throw a no-hitter. The second time was when Robert and I got the bright idea to go out to the uh, Arlington Stadium there. Uh, they had fireworks every 4th of July after the ball game. So we decided we'd trek out there and camp out around the the uh, stadium so that we could watch the fireworks go off. And normally that would have been a good idea, but they went into extra innings and it seemed like it was midnight before they ever did the the fireworks. But uh, So I had never really uh, gone in and seen an actual game of the Texas Rangers being played or anything like that, but they were in their brand new stadium and, and it was nice and, and we had uh, a parking right right up close to the to the gate and everything like that so we we trekked up there and we watched that game now <clears throat> Like I said, I'm not a big fan of baseball, but there's a a, a note, uh, you know, a few people of note. Now, I, I, one of my favorites was uh, Babe Ruth, uh, just simply because of his persona and the fact that that he defied the odds. And, and another uh, a guy that that is uh, was also a pitcher uh, was named Hoyt Wilhelm. Now, Hoyt Wilhelm played uh, quite a few years before I was born, and his first game as a uh, a major league player was in 1952, and he played uh, in some uh, 121 games, and he was uh, had 432 at bats. But the first time he stepped up to the plate. He hit a home run. And he would not hit another home run in the subsequent 121 games he played in or the 432 at-bats that he had after that. Uh, It was quite a way to start off a career. And uh, Hoyt Wilhelm was known, he was the first knuckleball thrower uh, to be put into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And, and so he was a, a, a unique baseball player, but his first at-bat, he hit a home run. Now, this uh, is... Uh, here in John chapter 2 we have record of Jesus' first miracle and and if you looked at that first miracle you would say well this is not really the way I would start off a ministry if I was to perform miracles. It was not necessarily a home run in the books for Jesus. Now he did uh, perform this miracle, and, but you would think if I was if you were wanting to, if you had, were a press agent or you were some a publicity person for Jesus, and you were saying, "Okay, Jesus, let's think about what you could do to start off your ministry to try and draw as much attention." Maybe you would have moved Lazarus being raised from the dead a little bit sooner in his ministry <laughs> or maybe feeding the 5,000 uh, right off the bat instead of just simply uh, turning water to wine. But Jesus did this miracle and it, it tells us some things about not only Jesus but also tells, tells us some things about us. <laughs> so look at it with me if you will at John chapter 2. 
Starting off at the first verse, it says, In the third day there was a marriage in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. <coughs> and both Jesus was called and His disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto Him, They have no wine. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And his mother said unto the servants, Whatever, uh, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone. And after the manner of purifying of the Jews containing two and three uh, two or three uh, firkins apiece. And Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk... Uh, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee um, and manifest forth His glory and His disciples believed on Him. So what we need to see first off is, is that this miracle accomplishes a, a task. Now, Now remember that I've told you before that the miracles that Jesus performed did more than just the miracle itself. They were done in order to accomplish something. Uh, to, uh, to, uh, and many times it, it, uh, I've said to you that the miracles that were performed were done uh, primarily to uh, let people know the, the authority that Jesus had to say the things that He was saying, to, uh, to indicate that He was of God. And uh, this miracle is different, though. He's not uh, teaching anything here. He's not uh, declaring Himself to be the Son of God at this point. He's just there with His disciples. The first thing uh, that we need to note is, is that this miracle denotes the glory of Jesus Christ. It get, brings glory to Jesus for who He is, for what He's doing, and for why He's there. And so if you want to just jot down the uh, glory uh, in your Bible or in your notes or whatever on this section, this is what this miracle does. It brings glory to Jesus Christ. It glorifies Him as the Son of God. And, and it, it brings Him glory for a couple of different reasons. Now, the Bible here states that uh, in the first couple of verses, it says that Jesus and a few of His disciples were made to come and be at the feast. Now, we don't understand what it was, uh, what reasoning was behind it that Jesus and His disciples were made to attend. It could be that some of the disciples were related to the people that were in the wedding feast uh, or in the wedding. It could be that Jesus was familiar with those. Uh, evidently, it's a possibility because His mother was there. Uh, but for whatever reason, Jesus and His disciples were included as, as part of the guests. And uh, it could, it, it's kind of tacked on there in a, such a way to help us to, to believe that, that Jesus and the disciples that attended were not uh, regular 
part of the, the wedding party. That there was some reason that they were added on. And uh, we see uh, another thing that happens here that Jesus' mother comes to Jesus uh, during the wedding and says to Jesus, uh, they are out of wine. Now, we've always looked at this passage of Scripture and said, okay, this is Jesus' mother and she's meddling in uh, the business of what's going on. She's needling Jesus to try and put Himself out there as the Messiah and trying to get Je- go Jesus into doing something. Uh, that's not what's going on here. And I want you to understand that that, that kind of thought process is, is a way of, of putting uh, attitudes that we carry today into the the narrative of what's happening here what we see is more likely is is that jesus and his his disciples are added on late in the planning of the wedding and as a result they're the reason why they're uh, lacking in wine because they're guests that weren't expected to be there that the governor of the feast this one that uh, that was taking the wine after jesus turned uh, the water to wine had planned out the wedding and jesus and his disciples were not anticipated being there and it's for that reason that they were responsible for the fact that there was a lacking in the wine uh, they the preparations had not included them and so therefore uh, they were responsible for them running out of wine now what we need to understand is is that uh, we need to have a different frame of reference as to what's going on here as well. Usually in today's society, in Western society, uh, we have a wedding. Uh, we come together at whatever time the wedding is, 3 or 6 o'clock, and, and the wedding lasts for about 30 minutes or so, and then you go over to a, uh, another location, either close by or uh, some distance, and you have a wedding party or a, um, a reception, and that usually lasts for a couple of hours, and people enjoy themselves and that kind of thing. A wedding feast in Jesus' day, there was a wedding, and usually the wedding feast uh, lasted sometimes up to a whole week. It could last for quite some time, and people would feast and they would enjoy themselves uh, at at a wedding because that was the time in which they got to do those kind of things. It would be like uh, living off of bread and water all the time, and then all of a sudden you're given a filet mignon and you're given a a, a nice big potato and you're given some a nice uh, 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 beans or asparagus or something like that, and and you're just feasting on on a wonderful meal because of the fact that it's a special occasion. And here Jesus and and the disciples are there. They've been drinking uh, the wine and they've been enjoying themselves and it's they do more than just drink a little bit. They've been uh, feasting for a whole week and they've come to uh, a point later in the time of the feast and they've run out of wine. And so uh, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus comes to Jesus and, and she says to him, uh, you've, you've created this situation and you need to be aware that they're expecting you and your disciples to do something about the fact that you uh, have caused there to be a lack of wine. And so Jesus says to her this, this response, uh, woman, what have I to do with thee? You know, this sounds so uh, 
disrespectful. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. Uh, Jesus sounds to be uh, being disrespectful to his mother, but uh, this is actually a term of of endearment towards his mother. Uh, we would see it as as something of a of a rebuke to, towards his mother, but this that's not what's going on here either. Uh, this is uh, there's other writings that have been uh, throughout. Uh, History and, and Josephus, a historian from the time of, of Jesus, uh, notes other places where people have written this, and this is actually a term of respect. This is a term of love and endearment towards his mother, woman. And he says, uh, he's basically saying, Not, what am, what am I going to do with you? He's not saying that. He's saying, uh, You need to understand it's not my time to reveal myself. This is not uh, according to my plan. I'm not here to to save people today uh, today is is just the beginning of ministry uh, it'd be like uh, a mother saying to a son son you go in there and you just you just let them have it you just have uh, go ahead and and Jesus says look whoa whoa uh, you need to understand that that God's plan is a different uh, plan than your plan and so uh, we know this for the fact that he says this in verse 4, uh, mine hour is not yet come, and yet his mother basically says to the servant, whatever he says, you do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And if Jesus had uh, been saying, look, you know, this is not, you're not going to pressure me into doing a miracle here. I, this is not for show and that kind of thing. He would have just gone on about his business and not told the servants to do anything at all. He would have done no miracle at all. But what he's saying is, is that uh, you're wanting me to reveal myself as the Messiah and to take away the sins of the world today. And the cross isn't today. It's at a different time. And so Jesus is trying to say, uh, we're, we're going to do this a different way. And so uh, those are two th- important factors to understand the miracle. Now, we get to the miracle itself. And uh, verse 6 says that there were some pots there uh, that contained water. And these pots of water... It's important to note that the Bible says that these pots of water were made of stone and for the rites of purification. Now these are not water pots for drinking from. These are water pots for washing hands and feet. They were made of stone because uh, Items of stone could not be made unclean according to the rites of purification. A wood pot or uh, another a clay pot could be made unclean, but a stone pot could not... Uh, if you were unclean and you touched a stone pot, you would not make a stone pot unclean and therefore the water inside of it unclean, but a clay pot or a wood pot, you could. Okay? It was the rites of purification were done with these pots, and these pots were used for washing. Like I said, uh, we've seen a couple of times where uh, washing feet are brought into uh, the uh, the conversation in the in the scriptures. That was something that was done because uh, people 
wore open, like you, some of you ladies, uh, because it's summertime, you wear open-toe shoes, you wear shoes that are uh, sandals, that kind of thing. Well, imagine if you had, everywhere you went, you walked. And everywhere you went was not, uh, uh, didn't have uh, cement or, or tarmac on it. You had to walk in the dirt. You had to walk through the woods. Okay, so everybody's feet is going to be a little smelly and everybody's feet's going to be a little dirty when they get to where they're going. These pots were used for the ceremonial cleaning of the hands and also the cleaning of the feet. And so this water had been used and uh, Jesus says to the servants, uh, make sure these pots are completely full. Uh, fill up all these water pots. And they, uh, these water pot, pots were very big. It says that it hold a firkin. Uh, we don't know exactly how much it was. It was a lot of water. It, it was. We're talking about uh, archaeologi- uh, archaeological digs have found pots that are about this tall and uh, they're about this wide and they hold quite a bit of water. And so Jesus tells them to fill up these pots with water and <coughs> then He tells the servants to take the water pots and to take them over to the, the master of ceremonies, the governor of the feast, and to pour out some of the water for the master of the feast. Now here's the thing. Here's a question for you. When did the water turn to wine? Now there's a lot of people that want to say that the water in the pots turned to wine immediately as soon as they picked them up to take them over to, uh, to the governor. I think it, that it started out as water and stayed water until they began to pour into the governor's cup because it was an expression of of faith. It was an expression of belief that what he was doing... Now, here's the thing. Let's just put it in today's terminology. Let's say you have a a wash basin that you've been washing your feet with and you've been washing uh, some delicates in or something like that and you need to have some uh, something to drink for your dinner guests. And somebody tells you, well, grab that old uh, wash basin that you've got for washing your feet and put a, put a bunch of water in it and then pour out some of it for, for your guests. You'd say, no, I'm not going to do that. But it, it required faith on the part of the servants. It required faith on the part of everyone there, especially those who were responsible and Mary, to believe that what Jesus was doing was something that was intentional and was designed to show something. And, it, and it's especially important for you to see as well. These water pots were used in the ritualistic cleaning of individuals to symbolize the cleaning that, that they had to do in their lives to come before God. The disciples and all that were there had gone through these rituals and done these things many, many times because they understood that they had to continually do these things over and over and over again in order to just come into the presence of God to make themselves clean before God so that they could worship Him. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was coming not to... uh, to 
take those things away, but to complete those things and to help them to understand that He was coming to do, to bring a cleaning that would last for all forever, to bring about a cleaning that was beyond what mere uh, rituals could do. What we do when we come to church, it's not just to, to come together and to, to do this so that we can feel like we're clean before God and go through another week of having our sins forgiven. We do this because of what God has done 2,000 years ago in Jesus Christ to celebrate the once and for all cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. What was Jesus doing? He was coming to show them that God was bringing about His grace and forgiveness, His mercy in providing a way of salvation, providing salvation once and for all. And so it wasn't a coincidence that Jesus had them take these pots that were used for ritualistic cleansing and use that water to turn it into wine. It was symbolic of what His ministry was all about. And remember, it was to bring glory to Jesus. The glory of of helping us to understand what He was doing. Jesus was coming to show them that He could provide that which was better for them was best. And it was demonstrated in the wine being sampled by the governor. He said, look, everybody else brings out all the good wine and at the beginning of the, of the marriage feast. And then by this time, we use all the weak stuff, the stuff that's not all that great. This wine was the best of wine. Jesus was demonstrating to them that not only that He was coming to bring about a cleansing that, that they couldn't get from the regular cleansing and washing of uh, rituals, but that He was bringing grace and mercy of God, but He was bringing the best of God. He was not bringing that something that was just merely going to get by, but He was bringing about the very best of God, the, the, the glory of God, the, the very richness of God, of what God wanted for them. He was bringing the best, not just uh, something, like I said, that was going to just fit the bill, but the very utmost best. God didn't skimp on you when He brought about His grace and mercy. He gave His very best for you. He brought His ultimate best for you. And so this miracle of turning water to wine is a demonstration of God uh, bringing about the very best and bringing something that we couldn't do in our lives, a cleansing that we couldn't achieve. And one more thing, one more thing. There was an abundance of wine. It wasn't just a little simple jug or a a bottle of wine. This was uh, these multiple jugs of wine that were huge. They were used for cleansing, remember? So there had to be plenty of water to, to wet people's feet and hands and to wash their hands after they had cleansed with soap. And so there'd be lots and lots of it. And so these servants had multiple jugs, large jugs of, of water that were now the best of wine. And it's a demonstration of the fact that God's got enough grace to cover you no matter what it is. God's grace and mercy is is not only sufficient, it's in an abundance. There's more than enough. You can't possibly have a situation where there's not enough of God's grace. God's grace and mercy is not going to run out. It's going to be enough for everyone to have applied to their life and applied in such a way that the grace and mercy of God covers us and covers our lives completely. 
So what I want you to understand is, remember miracles in the Bible were God's way of demonstrating uh, that He exceeds the laws of nature and of humanity to demonstrate His power, His glory, His might. And this miracle of Jesus was done not just simply to show, hey, look at me, I'm someone special. But it was to give God the glory and to give us a demonstration of God's uh, purpose and plan in Jesus Christ for our lives and the lives of those who are there each and every day to understand God's grace and mercy applied to to them. And it applies to us as well. Jesus Christ has an abundance of grace and mercy that can be applied to your life today. Today, what you need, you can't fulfill in all the things that you can... Look, you can give all kinds of money to charity. You can do all kinds of charitable things. You can go out and, and serve other people and, and, and work in soup kitchen, kitchens and all kinds of things. Not a bit of that will take away your sins. But the precious blood of Jesus Christ that He provided on the cross of Calvary for you, it will take away the stain of sin. It will wash you white as snow. It will cause you to be clean clean before God and you can trust and rely upon Him to bring about that forgiveness that you need in your life. That's the message of this miracle. It's a message for your life today. If you need Jesus Christ to come into your life and to cleanse you, that's what you need to do today, to accept the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ in your life. If you feel as though you've just got so much sin that you don't have, that there's not enough grace out there, you need to understand there's more than enough to cover you and that it's good enough to, do, to take away any sin that you might might have committed in your life. Whatever it is, God can meet your need through Jesus Christ and His precious blood. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your grace, Your love, Your mercy, for the fact that You bring about salvation in our life. Lord, we pray that You'd help us to understand Your great love. Lord, to accept it in our life, to apply it to our lives, and allow you to wash us, cleanse us, and make us whole. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.